Hi, guys. Welcome to another exciting episode of Conspire a Theory. I have with me Tim Moon. Tim Moon, how's it going today? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to have you on the show. I'm so glad that you reached out to me. Um, I understand you're based out of Austin. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I live in uh, Lakeway, actually. But yeah, that's the Austin area. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, I'm based out of San Antonio, so it's, we're kind of like neighbors almost. Oh, we're close then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny because when you live in San Antonio, Austin is like the cool cousin that everybody comes to visit. And 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 we're always hearing about stuff. Everything's going up in Austin. And and when you're in San Antonio, it's just like Austin, Austin, Austin. And we, <laughs> we just get tired of hearing about it sometimes. <laughs> well, I get tired of it, too. I want to move to San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah but austin is a pretty happening place i remember going to a lot of conventions and and art stuff up there when i mm -hmm. do my artwork and stuff in the convention circuit very busy town yeah very busy that's true now let's talk a little bit about you had had uh quite a few paranormal experiences in your life as i understand it even enough that it inspired you to write a book can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, um, I've had a, uh, some uh, poltergeist, minor poltergeist stuff, that, and I had an alien, one alien thing. Um, but my brother had a pretty significant um, encounter with Bigfoot, and we got to talking about that one day, and I had always been interested in the subject. Uh, so when I found out about his encounter, it kind of inspired me to start writing uh, a book that I had thought about for quite a while because I wanted to try to use fiction as a means of uh, drawing people to the subject of Bigfoot uh, because I felt like nonfiction was not getting the job done <laughs> and not making the impact. And so when I heard his story, it just kind of spurred me on to just do something. And so I started writing uh, a novel, which is now published, called Tomato Fields. And uh, it's about an encounter that a community has uh, with this animal in the 70s and their efforts to try to deal with it before it does any damage or, or harm or more harm, let's say. And... And uh, the idea is to just use it as an opportunity to demonstrate the, the, the cool mysteries that surround this creature and uh, legitimize it a bit, maybe, in people's hearts and minds through interesting stories. So it sounds a lot like it's your own personal legend of Boggy Creek, is that Well, is it's that a right? little, maybe, it's, a, it's, it's, it's not as much... Uh, I think Boggy Creek had a the animal had a lot of of interaction with the people, and that was real to my understanding, to my knowledge. And in my case, it was inspired by a, a real activity, but it was really a fictional from for the most part. So, although I've studied thousands of stories of Bigfoot, so even though it's fictional, I know enough about the subject and what encounters are like for people that I was able to write it as though it was true and realistic. Hmm. But yeah, it's that fiction. is interesting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I am glad to see that you're like contributing to the the community as a creator. I really admire that and really definitely give you props and, and praise for that. I, I think that's quite an accomplishment, especially with their first, with, is this your first book? Is this right? Debut novel, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because it takes so much to get out the first one. A lot of people don't realize how much, you know, effort and, and you know, and dedication that, that that takes. And I really commend you for, for getting that out there and getting that done. Well, and, of course, a link will be provided in the show notes for your book as well as uh, for your website if people wish to get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, what can you tell me about the initial experience that, that spurned this novel that your brother had had, if you could give us that? Yeah, briefly? I'm happy to. Um, he, he bought some property in Mason County, Washington. If you know the area, it's, it's just up above the Hood Canal Hook. And it was all rural at the time, apart from the small house that uh, he still lives in. And he bought it because he's a contractor and he was going to build houses and, and, and subdivide the lots, which he did. And he worked in Seattle during the week, but then came out there for the weekends. And one weekend he was out there and he was about night, you know, just getting close to the end of the day. And he went out to the to his truck to fix some lights on his trailer and he smelled a funny smell. And, and so he started looking around. He thought maybe something had died or something. Cause you know what you hear that musky uh, dead animal type smell that people often associate with uh, the Bigfoot. He smelled that and started looking around and he, there's a light pole about 70 yards up um, which was connected to some power lines. And he saw this creature standing there staring at him. And when it saw him, it saw him see him, it started yelling at him, you know, the scream that you hear often on, on the radio. Um, and it scared him really bad. And he ran to his house um, and grabbed his shotgun he was pretty sure the thing was going to be coming toward his house. And he looked out the window and saw it stop screaming and then waited, waited for just a while. And then it turned around and walked right back into the woods. And he, uh, he never has seen it again. He said he smelled it again and he's heard it again, but he's never seen it again. And uh, it was pretty, it freaked him out pretty bad. He never told anybody. That happened in the 90s, and he didn't tell me until about, oh, I would say 2013, 2014. And he he just didn't want people laughing at him and making fun of him. So, But I thought it was one of the best stories I've heard, <laughs> and, or, or certainly one of them, maybe not the best, but certainly one of them. And, and um uh, and it just got me thinking, I need to do it. I need to quit waiting and I need to go try to write this book. So I did. That's what got me started. And it is right. It is hard. You're right. It's very hard because you've never done something and there's no reason for anybody to believe you can. <laughs> and, and so it takes a lot of uh, persistence to keep pushing through your own lack of belief sometimes and then the the lack of other people's belief as well so 
but it's paid off. I've got some good reviews and I think it's been a good start. So, and I have, like you said, learned a lot. That's good. Now, tell me a little bit about the additional paranormal experiences that you said you've had. I think you've had like poltergeist and an alien. Well, yeah. When we were kids, we lived in a house that um, we're sure now was haunted in a non-malevolent. It wasn't it wasn't scary or mean, but there was a ghost that was in that house. My brother actually saw him. I heard him. Uh, we, My mom talked about him a lot, and uh, he would often mess up things in the kitchen and move pots and pans around and uh, turn the stove on, and he'd turn the washer and dryer on downstairs at night, in the middle of the night when everyone was sleeping. Um, and... Uh, my brother actually heard him or watched, saw him follow my dad into the bathroom when he was, when he was about six and he was a little boy. It was a little boy. It was a ghost of a little boy. And he ran down into the bathroom because he was upset that someone was following his dad. Another kid was following his dad and he opened the door and there was nothing, nothing there, but his dad, but dad. So he, that was a story. And then he, uh, we also had one year, uh, there was a mantelpiece that lifted from the mantel and went out into the room slightly and then fell and dropped down onto the, the floor and, cra- and, and crashed and broke. And that freaked everybody out. Um, so my mom finally, and I'm, I'm not going to uh, encourage this. I think you should stay away from this, but we were just kids and my mom was trying to find out answers. So she got a Ouija board and to try to find out who, uh, this, this ghost was. And she found out enough information apparently to go down to the city and do some research. This was in the seventies, so you couldn't do it on the internet. And she found out that a little boy had died in the house and um, uh, we, so we just assumed there was a little boy ghost that lived in the house with us and it just took it for granted. And the one experience I had direct experiences, I heard it in the kitchen one night when everyone else was asleep, I heard it moving things around in the kitchen and pots and pans, moving pots and pans around. And to this day, I was probably 10, maybe. And to this day, I have no idea why I didn't get up and go into the kitchen. But Mm -hmm. I didn't. And I don't remember being scared. But I might have been a little bit. But I wasn't so scared that I ran upstairs to get my mom or something. I just sat and listened to it for the longest time. And then I just went to bed. And I know everybody else was asleep. So that's kind of, those are the types of experiences. We also, my aunt and my, my grandma was the one who got scared the most. Um, it scared her one night because it was making noise under her bed and she got out of bed and checked and there was nothing there. She thought it was the dog. And then she got out of bed one more time because it went again and checked again and there was nothing there. So she packed her bags and got dressed and called a cab and left. And I don't think she ever came back to that house. She, she was the only one that ever, it ever scared that I know of. Other than that time, the thing fell off the mantle. I think everybody was a little scared by that. But otherwise, it was pretty, um, 
just we just took it for granted and it was like part of the family an invisible part of the family <laughs> so yeah. but that yeah. was the experience i had with that yeah I, I can understand that to a degree and how about the the alien ufo uh thing how about that uh that was just really i was uh in college and we were went to a concert and we were walking out of the concert after the concert was over. And one of us looked up. I can't remember who saw it first, but we saw uh, pretty high up in the sky. It dep- we don't know for sure because we don't know how big it was. But it was very visible. It was up in the sky. And it was a triangle. And it was moving in uh, patterns, kind of like straight lines and then squares and triangles and and it was moving in a pattern within a certain area. And it just go back and forth and up and down in that area. And, and it, it wasn't lit. The only reason we were able to see it is because it was lighter than the night sky. The, dark, the night sky was darker. So it appeared as kind of a gray triangle. And it just moved around. And we watched it for about 10 minutes. And then it didn't do anything else. It just kept doing the same thing. So we we uh, finally had to go home, got in the car and left. And I've never seen it again until last two years or so when I started hearing reports of people seeing triangles, triangle-shaped UFOs. And, and so I contacted one of my friends from back then and asked her if she remembered that. And she said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And so it... it 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 was pretty interesting. Uh, it's the only direct experience I've had with a UFO, um, and I've never had it again since then. So it it was un- very unusual. I had no way of knowing what it was. Uh, and until I saw those reports a couple of years ago, I'd never seen anything about triangle-shaped saucer, that, at least a flying saucer. There was that massive, those massive lights over Phoenix about 15 years ago. And that, yeah, I, yeah, heard I heard about that triangular shape, but that was much mm-hmm. bigger than what I saw. So, hmm. so anyway, but yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. I've seen a, a triangular um, shape myself in the sky, so I can relate to that to a degree. Yeah. Was yours lit? Mine was, um, I saw it through uh, night vision goggles oh. uh, a friend of mine has the sky deck and we were you know uh, sky watching okay. and what i seen was looked like three lights um just tracing around the well i guess what in a triangular pattern i really couldn't quite see the craft itself because it was so high up but that's pretty much what i saw and 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 as far as i could best describe it it, it was a uh, uh triangle because it was the three lights where were moving in a triangular shape sort of like it was like tracing along i guess what would be the edges of the craft but i think it was lights tracing the edges of the craft not the craft spinning you know in a way was uh, the craft was it moving at all i think it was stationary i just looked up at it and you know and it's just like oh that that's 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 neat (laughs) <laughs> that's just the best I could say. Like, oh, that well, that's there, you know. 
Ours was moving, or the one we saw was moving, and it was moving in funny, funny lines, straight lines, up and down, right and left, and it just kept doing it. It would stop and then do it again and then stop and then move again and then stop and then move again. And it would never move right back to the same place. It would just move on a different line yeah. within, a, within a particular circle. So it was big enough that you could see it was actually moving, but it would it would never exceed that. It would never go all the way over to one side of the sky or all the way over to the other side or way down toward you and then way back up. It just stayed in that little area. Hmm. Very unusual. Yeah, very peculiar. I, I don't know what to make of these behaviors, especially with the triangular craft. Yeah, I don't either. But that's so, why they're unidentified, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of the extent of the experiences I've had. Other than one time when we were kids, I took my brothers to the drive-in. I was, I was driving age by then. And we were out in the country in Idaho. And... We were driving home, and I saw uh, a light going across the sky, and I thought it was an airplane, and suddenly it turned and went 180 degrees the other way. And I said, that is really strange. So I pointed it out to the my brothers and friends in the car, and then I couldn't follow it anymore because it went to the side of us and then back behind us. But they they were insistent that it was following us and that it was getting close and they at telling me to hurry. So... All I remember from the experience since I was driving was getting home as fast as getting back to our cabin as fast as possible on old dirt roads and driving really fast. Mm -hmm. um, and the kids in the back screaming, hurry up, go faster. And mm -hmm. they were insistent that it was a UFO and it was following us. My brother said it was kind of like an egg. Hmm. So That's interesting. But, but the only part I saw was it do the 180 degree turn and then go out of my sight. And then they, 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 they went from there with it. So those, that's, but that's kind of the experiences I've had um, that I can document as being pretty valid. Yeah. I've, I've had an old pickup truck and I've, you know, gone across country roads. Uh, you know, usually I have like a whole bunch of, of uh, drunken college kids and teenagers in the back because at the time I was a teenager myself. So it yeah. was, right. yeah, yeah. I, I, I can relate somewhat to that experience. Uh, well, that but, area in Idaho, it's interesting. We were on another podcast and when we told him where we were, he was from the same area and hmm. he knew all about it, the paranormal. There's a lot of paranormal activity in Northern Idaho and hmm. um, it's not unusual. And that summer, my, my, my mom, had had a, a UFO sighting. Um, so it was kind of not unusual. And when I told him that, the podcaster, he said, oh, yeah, there's a lot of that up here. He was, you know, it, it was pretty cool that we didn't know that when we before we talked. But while we were talking, we realized we were talking about the same place and it kind of um, reaffirmed each other's experience. Yeah, that is quite interesting. That yeah. is pretty cool. So, yeah. um, what do you think about like? I know that there's like a lot of right now. Um, there's a lot going on with the government right now and discussing UFOs, and I really don't think anything's going to come of it. I, I honestly don't. 
because a lot of the the, the senators and and people that are proposing stuff that they're carrying all this this um, a lot of their ammunition is stuff that's like proven hoaxes and stuff of that nature. So I don't know what's being said before Congress. I don't. I don't it just it it seems to be like something embarrassing, and it it leads me to the speculation of a cover up conspiracy. You know. Yeah, I, when I think of the government, I think of dishonesty and distraction. <laughs> and I, I just, they're, they're just always lying. And I think I'm finally hearing people make, like the senator from Florida, who's finally saying things like, if this is a true story, it's the biggest story of our lifetime. Well, yeah, that is the biggest, but it's been the biggest story of our lifetime for a while now. And so how do we know they're telling us the truth suddenly? Mm. And uh, those, that, those balloons over the Great Lakes and stuff being shot down, I just laughed. I thought it was funny that they were going to try to pull that over on us, really. Yeah. A UFO is going to get shot down by one of our planes, really. Well, it, it was something about it was just very suspicious and very, off. Very if off. You're, if you're like a, a seasoned uh, paranormal yep. um, enthusiast, you sort of like not exactly this type of uh, ball and chain, but it's it sort of like it. I wasn't surprised. I don't think anyone in the paranormal field was surprised by the the nothing that came of it. I was surprised that they would try it. I was surprised that they would try to do that as a distraction to what they allowed to happen with that Chinese blimp that flew over the country. Yeah. I think they were trying to distract us from that. And I was just surprised they would try such an anemic, make such an anemic effort. I mean, couldn't they have come up with something better than that? <laughs> oh, yeah, they... they... I'm sure that they've had that this sort of stuff happens all the time. I just believe we were told about it this time because they could exploit it to either make us look ridiculous for, for being invested in it or, or there was just some other nefarious deal happening, I guess, sort of, I guess, cloak and dagger of that nature. You know, I just, I feel that, that, you know, um, you know, elite people in power, you know, that they're running on self-interest and we're never in the loop and we're usually a casualty of of their decisions, yet we're the ones that pay the price, whereas they just move on to the next scheme. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly been happening the last three years. Absolutely. Um, it's just ridiculous what, what's been allowed to happen. And some people, some people, just don't see it at all. I it just shocks me. But yeah, I guess the 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 we usually just go along with it, unfortunately, because we're like so we feel so powerless to the change. But the latest impact that I see that's making a lot of people really nervous, especially in the powers that be, in some fields, is us just closing our wallets. Yeah, yeah, not buying anything. Yeah. I've stopped buying. I've stopped doing it. <laughs> so. I'm not going to I'm not going to promote and support stupidity. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, 
getting back to uh, Bigfoot and UFOs, I've heard that there have been cases of people either they're, they'll, they'll see Bigfoot and then they'll see lights in the sky or, or lights in the forest of that nature. Or in this other case of, of that I've heard in the, in the, in the field of people seeing Bigfoot on UFOs. What is your, what is your impression of that? I, I don't know. I have never seen the lights. I've never, but you're, you're right there. There is, um, more and more instances of people either directly associating lights with them or, or, um, indirectly associating seeing them and then seeing lights and or finding out that the two had been seen in the same area those things are are fairly common instances and i've been reading a book about i'm uh, an area in texas where there's quite a bit of weird paranormal experiences um in preparation for writing a sequel and uh I've been looking at some of the theories this guy has for, for, for seeing things like this. And uh, one of them was that the, the, our brains take what, what it actually appears as light or energy, which we can't see and translates it for us into something we can see. And, and, these creatures might be the translations of that light. And maybe sometimes we see the light, but sometimes our brain translates it into this creature for the purpose of making us scared of it because <laughs> you know, maybe it is dangerous. And yeah, you, know how yeah, our, I've... you know how our brain translates. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't see all of reality. We yeah, see yeah. a very small part of it. Our yeah, brain only translates, and, and yeah, it translates and enough for us to get by and survive in this world. That might be what the big, this is. I don't know. It's yeah. Just, I've, I've heard, I, I believe that's like uh, very heavily associated with the uh, co-creation theory. Yeah. Where it's like a group of people will have a shared experience, but they'll each see something different. Like uh -huh. they'll see, like I remember hearing one account of people seeing an entity walking through a graveyard and it was like five people and they each saw something different. Like one saw a werewolf, another one saw a Bigfoot, another one saw a ghost, another one saw um, something, an alien, I think. One saw like a gray and they all saw something different, which I felt very was very perplexing. Well, it may just be that that's their brain translating it in a way they can understand it. But it's yeah. really just light. It's really just some sort of light form. And it may be some form of dangerous light form, and the brain is trying to warn us to be scared enough to get away. I don't know. It's just things I wonder. But it is fascinating. And I used to think I that this was just a materialistic thing and that, uh, all of this stuff had a material, materialistic, flesh blood type yeah, yeah. answer, you know. And but I don't believe that anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't know how to fully understand it. I mean, but there's something else going on, and I think it's of an immaterial nature. Yeah, uh, I can. And, it, and it's beyond us, so that's why we call it paranormal. It's beyond normal yeah. because 
mm-hmm. our brain translates things in, in a very thin, uh, narrow way that is uh, does not take into consideration most of the known universe. But it helps us survive right here and right now. And otherwise, we would maybe see more. Maybe we would see more dimensions. Maybe we would see more types of light and more energies if our brain was open to doing something other than surviving on this planet. But it's just, it just wants to efficiently survive. That's what, that's how evolution has worked. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can understand that. Um, let's see. What was I thinking? These, um, just to speculate, I mean, I can understand for the longest time we had sort of like a flesh and bone nuts and bolts, approach to this sort of uh, phenomenon that there was one camp and then there was another camp, which was sort of the woo spiritualist type of movement. And then the other one was more of a a skeptical, critical, um, yeah. um, Physical uh, manifest uh, representation movement. And I, and in some cases the argument has been made that when you shift the 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 burden of proof or something of that nature of moving the goalposts, the criticism is always, well, you're just covering up one mystery with another. Right. And I kind of feel that that in this sense, you know, I mean, I do sort of feel like that is a plausible uh, criticism, but at the same time, you know, it's like, well, we I don't know, have we exhausted the physical studies? The, the physical discipline to the point that that's the only road that we could go now? I think we're hurting ourselves by not going that road. I think we're covering up the, the spiritual with the material and pretending the material is the only thing that exists. Material is nothing but energy. It's dense energy. Everything is energy. Our, our three-dimensional reality is just dense energy. And uh, very, very many scientists are, are thinking that it's um, it's much more mysterious than, than we want to pretend, but they often get ostracized and put down because it doesn't fit that in perfectly in their uh, scientific, purely materialistic science. And I think purely materialistic science isn't getting it done anymore. And it might be causing us to to not not advance as fast as he we could be. Tesla said that. Tesla was big on energy and 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 uh, was worried that we were going the wrong direction and that if we went more toward the immaterial energetic aspect of things that that we would advance faster. I can't remember the exact quote, but those are some of the things he said. He was kind of out there, but he was also brilliant. And so I, I think we're probably doing ourselves a disservice by trying to fit everything into purely physical material science. Yeah, I can understand that to a degree, but also I feel like a lot of it is also I'd have to put it up into the cover-up yep. bin as well in that the academic and um, – yeah, the, the academic outlets, you know, if we get into that sort of, you know, introducing of that woo stuff, people's fundings dry up. 
Well, they're, or, yeah, the research. Yeah. Because they want to make, make things that they benefit and profit from. Yeah. Or so all the true. people that, that, all the people that would benefit from otherwise, well, it, it doesn't sell their products. So, right. you know, why should they put money into it? You know, uh, corporate oh, and academic uh, gatekeeping, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, there's a lot of that going on. The pharmaceutical companies, look at that. <laughs> yeah. It's gotten to the point that we can't even talk about it, you know, quote unquote off the cuff, because, you know, because if we do, you know, the the social media has safeguards in place to label it disinformation and anyone who is accredited that has had any kind of criticism, they've been, you know, again, academically kicked out and corporately, you know, barred from practicing or, or, or yeah. even getting their, you know, message across. And it's like before the scientific method was, you know, you know, challenge my findings. Right. You know, and now it's, you know, don't challenge my findings. Yeah, shut up and trust because my it's a, <laughs> Yeah, because it goes against the my commercial interests. Right. Or my the people in charge, my benefactors' commercial interests. That's right. Have you have you ever noticed how many commercials on television or pharmaceutical company? Yeah, quite a bit. And it's, of course we have all the the side effects that are all listed and then That's right. And do you ever notice on those commercials when they list the side effects, they show the people doing happy things? Yeah. Watch the commercials next time because they're doing happy things and playing happy music and they're all smiling and clapping. <laughs> the reason is, is because people, if, if the message you hear doesn't line up with the message you see, people believe the message they see. Yeah. We're made for that. We're made to do that, to trust our eyes more. 97% or 93% of communication is nonverbal. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like the the it's complete manipulation yeah. and deception, and people, it's just a tragedy. It's a crime. <laughs> yeah, it, a perfect example of that was in the eighties when they would have the smoking warnings uh, about pregnancy on the cowboy posters of the Marlboro Man, and yep. it's like you yep. know, warning may cause pregnancy and stuff, and and yet you're. You're you're presenting it on on with a with a male, you know, uh, mascot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, uh, and it's clearly misleading. They're doing the same thing or worse with pharmaceutical with drugs as they did with with that. And then they put the the blue collar drug dealers in jail, and they make the white collar drug dealers millionaires and mm. billionaires, and it's just tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, I, some people speculate that the whole um, marijuana movement, and I guess that leads into like the urban her, herbal yeah. um, um, supplement and DMT and all that stuff that uh -huh. that that was sort of like you know legalized, you know, quote unquote, so that the government could have uh, more uh, control over it. Mm -hmm. And I guess sort of, you know, to, to keep it in check, you know, 
because I thought at first, you know, that, that it was just smoking weed and getting high, you know, and just eating potato chips and sitting on the couch. Mm-hmm. But now people are getting high and they're seeing, you know, machine elves and really and spectral demons and stuff like this. Like, I, I guess, I don't know if it's the DMT or, or I don't whatever know. I it is. The, I never heard the, that. The, the trippy stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I've I know that, that Joe Rogan talks about it a lot, about the Listen. what they call the machine elves and stuff like this, where people like go on on like powerful trips. Um, and then they, of course, they see they interact with entities. I, I don't know if I'm representing it correctly because I'm just coming off with it off the top of my head. Huh. No, I've never heard that before. I've heard of DMT and I've heard of legalized marijuana, but I've never heard of, of a connection to any kind of hallucinogen. So that's well, there, really... is, there, there is something out there that is a hallucinogen of some sort. Wow, and I do believe part of it is is in marijuana or or something of that nature. It, it's I know that's what that DMT. Family. DMT, that's what DMT is. It's yeah, it's a. I think it's. I understand it as a chemical, like kind of recreation of the one the that the Indians use in the drug um, Hiawatha. It's similar to the drug in Hiawatha, or maybe it's the same thing in a chemical form. But yeah, but S- some other form that that people are able to uh, practice it like much easier than they did before. Yeah, and because of that, you know, they're having these sort of uh, uh, like more trippy, wow. sort of out there things, and and it's getting a thing that it's almost becoming a sort of drug tourism. Wow. Well, I never, never heard of that. That's this is the first time I've heard of that. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm even representing it correctly because you know it, it's one of those things that I hear about, but I don't look that much into. Yeah, because when I hear people like having things with like, it sort of triggers like the hypnagogic uh, state that I guess is similar and related to like sleep paralysis, like sort of waking dreams. Mm-hmm. In a sense, so it's sort of like it's triggering that same area of the brain, I believe. I could be wrong. I don't have it in front of me right now, unfortunately. Interesting. I heard something recently on people with sleep paralysis and the connection to dreams. And and I, I just, though, listened really not that carefully because it's not something that's been that interesting to me. So I haven't paid too much attention to it. But now when you mentioned sleep paralysis and dreaming, it made me think of that. Yeah. The core of my experiences in my paranormal um, journey has been through via sleep paralysis. Really? That, that I've had that, that I've been, you know, visited by uh, entities. I, I put it up on my Instagram it's a few posts back. Well, I'm going to send you a link to this podcast I was listening to about that because I bet you you'd find it very interesting. When when we're done, I'll send that link to you. I'll look it up and send it to you. Sure thing. Sure thing. Definitely. But I guess uh, uh, hopping on back on to the to the topic at hand. um, Do you what what does that? 
the like when people talk about sleep paralysis demons and shadow people and and all these oppressive entities what what is your what do you think about that what what do you whether you you have heard about it or what is your, your what do you speculate about it what is your impression well i don't i do believe there's there's demons and i do believe there's angels and I do believe that they interact with people, um, but I don't think I don't attribute everything that I don't understand to being evil or demonic, and everything that I think I understand to be good. So I kind of have an open mind about a lot of it. But I knew that I know there is some evil, and there are demons associated with evil, and that that can be very dangerous if you're not careful and don't know what you're doing. And, But I think oftentimes we might have a bad dream, and we think it's a bad dream because it's something we've never seen before, but if we have a little time to think through it, maybe it's not a bad dream. Maybe that's just how we're interpreting it. And so I think we sometimes we tend to interpret things in the worst possible way under stressful situations. And kind of a survival uh, mentality. And uh, dreams aren't always, just because you have a dream that's a little scary doesn't mean maybe there's a good purpose behind it. Maybe it's trying to direct you in a certain way. And and she mentioned that in that, the lady who was on that program, I think one time said that, uh, the, that we tend to think, think that they're negative because we don't understand them. And then but they're oftentimes trying to lead us in a particular direction, but we're scared of it. So I, I just don't think I know all the answers, but I do know there are some things that are pretty evil <laughs> and we have to be careful. There's, it's not, hmm. uh, it, there are some dangerous things in the spiritual world. So uh, I, I don't know if that's a good enough answer for you, but that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Yeah, I I find it interesting when people like they'll see uh, commonalities, um, like when some people when they'll like see, like whether it's uh, abduction phenomenon or something of that nature, or like there are sometimes where I think like people will encounter like unique entities, mm-hmm. and the one-offs I I find interesting, but then sometimes you know, we'll see like commonalities, like people see the, the same type of, of entity over and over again with people that are unrelated. That I find interesting because it's sort of a, a deep commonality. I guess some people want to write it off as pop culture uh, pollution. And I, and in, in some cases, you know, it, it's very hard to tell because you don't know how influenced people are by pop culture on whether or not they'll see the same thing again, you know, especially when it's yeah. something like unique. Have you ever seen or heard of someone seeing a hat man type figure? Yes. I've, I've interviewed a, a, an author um, on one of my prior shows. She, she had seen a hat man type of figure in, in her sleep paralysis episodes. Um, Cause I think she, that's pretty common. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I felt that was very com- common, but also unique in her instance, was 
in her instance, she she saw the figure, but he appeared to have what looked like a a, a rosebud of a or like a like a cigarette, like he was smoking a cigarette, like the lighted part of the cigarette would would light up. And and that's what she saw is that that whatever entity it was it had a it was smoking. Hmm. My brother's not, girlfriend my brother's girlfriend saw one that was dancing. Hmm. <laughs> that and is, then that is I interesting. told that to a guy and he said he's seen them before too and he's talked to a bunch of other people recently who's also seen them and so he thinks it's pretty common. And I, I just think that's unusual. I just, who would have ever thought a hat man would be a common thing, you know? Yeah, the hat man is sort of a, a, a he, he seems to have, have grown in prominence, you know, uh, quite, quite often. And, and I, I find it intriguing. You know, very intriguing. It's just different. It's just you hear the weirdest things and you go, geez, where's that coming from? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, that, I just wanted to ask you because I just heard that from other people. So I wanted to see what your experience was. Yeah, I'm like in my instance, in my personal sleep paralysis accounts, I haven't had encounters with um, a hat man. Um, but. I have heard people that have had them. Uh, mine weren't shadow people. Uh-huh. Mine were, uh, I guess, were sort of like, I guess, full-blown entities, so to speak. I, I, I could best describe it as a sort of a, a um, like like a full-figured, um, like like a figure. So, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, uh, sort of a. Uh, Where'd you see it? Was it while you were sleeping? It was. Um, or just when you just woke up, or. Let me. Try to try to. My, my thoughts are all over the place right now. I gotta. Gotta bring myself back. Uh, it was sort of along the lines of, I I would have to say a. Um, it was it's a sleep paralysis episode where, I was um, it was like it's like, I was in an overnight shift or something, and I was sleeping during the day, so my bedroom was filled with with daylight. Mm-hmm. And I was taking a nap or something because I was exhausted, and then my I felt the the fear hormones or whatever it is come over my body, and then my my body was stuck in place. However, I didn't feel any type of uh, weight on my chest, which most people describe. Instead, my body was just unable to move, so I guess my body felt heavy in that sense. And then I saw two humanoid entities walk in. They were people, like, dressed up. Mm-hmm. One was very tall and very uh, fat. It was a tall, fat man with red, flowing red hair. And he had black shorts and a 
black t-shirt that was really, really tight and rode up and, and his belly was hanging out. Wow. And then another one was a hunched over man with spiky hair and, and a bristly um, mustache and a trucker hat. And he was wearing a flannel, like a, like blue and green flannel. Wow. And they were just looking at me, you know, I mean, some people could say like, oh, that that's like you had a hypnagogic experience of a home invasion. But it, but these they were people, but they were misshapen mm -hmm. because the hunched over man was like very hunched, like almost cartoonishly hunched over. And the tall, rotund individual was like, again, looked like a sort of cartoonish, cartoonish proportions. Mm -hmm. And they would like look at me and then they would go and root through my belongings. They would go through my dresser and, and, and open wow. my, my closets wow. and look at, and just rummage through stuff. And then the next step that of, of absurdity was they would then open closets into walls that didn't have closets. Like they were opening dimensional doorways or something of that nature into closet space. And they would root through that. And then, and then once I started regaining feeling in my body, it's like they, they quickly look to me and then, and then let themselves out, shuffle themselves out and close to the door behind them. And of course, when did I they, regained. Did they, leave, did they leave your room or did they go into one of those, those invisible. No, they, they left my, they left my room through the, through the, the bedroom door. Okay. Okay. And then when I regained conscious, when I regained uh, momentum, you know, of, of course I'm, I'm, I know I just had a sleep paralysis experience because I understand what that is. I've studied it for, for years and I know that's what happened, but the nerves were, you still feel rattled. Mm -hmm. You still feel emotionally and physically rattled. And I looked through all my belongings and nothing was shuffled. Nothing was taken. Nothing was looked through. I had two layers of security, physical locks and, and electronic security, and, and neither was disturbed. Mm -hmm. there, was, there was no way for these individuals to get out. And there was no way that they could have gotten in without triggering two layers of security. Mm -hmm. So they just vanished into fat air. Wow. When I was in a college, um, I was studying the connection between uh, modern entertainment and some satanic symbols and uh, that are used often on record covers or in movies and stuff. And I started, uh, I was doing it so I could, I thought, so I could help kids who might be getting caught up in that to get out of it. And uh, I eventually quit because it started having a negative impact on me. I started to uh, have weird things happen. And one of the weird things that happened was I was, was taking a nap one day at, after school. And I, you know, when you're in a state where you can't tell if you're, you're awake or you're dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of in, and that doesn't happen to me very often. So when it does, it's very unique. And I felt that a skeleton had reached up through the bed and wrapped its 
hands around my neck and was trying to pull me down into the bed and that I was getting pulled through the mattress down into something. And it just was a very scary feeling. And at first I just tried resisting the, the pull and I couldn't. And then finally I, I just said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to let me go. And as soon as I said that, I sat up in bed sat straight up in bed, like all the pressure had been released and I, the momentum pushed me forward. And that was one thing, one dream that I had. And I never, it was one of those things you didn't know whether it was real or, or a dream, you know, you know, rationally your body can't be pulled through a mattress, but it, it was the sense was I'm being pulled down into hell or something like that. And never happened to me again. Um, but I quit, I finally quit looking at that stuff because there was no benefit from it. Um, and, um, it was just causing me problems, but it, it showed me a spiritual, um, reality (laughs) that was weird and a little scary. Yeah, I, I think I can somewhat relate to that because I, I understand working yourself into a frenzy. Because I would watch, you know, in the in the nineties, in the late nineties, I would record the alien documentaries off of the Sci-Fi Channel on Betamax, mm-hmm. and I would watch them over and over. And of course, my mother would tell me, "You're going to get nightmares and stuff like this." And I would just work myself into such a a nervous, anxious frenzy that I'd be scared that the aliens are going to come after me, because I just I just exposed myself to that material so hard. That that I I I sort of like induced that that fear of of that paranoia into me sometimes so so I can understand with with your studies of working into that and of course with you of course you you had an 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 influence and you actually you know had some sort of a consequence of that influence. Yeah, I felt I mean, like it was. It's yeah. kind of like if you're trying to teach people to avoid false things, you don't have to teach them all about the false things. You just teach them about the real thing. Yeah. And if you teach them about the real thing, they'll be able to recognize the false things. And I was kind of getting it backwards. I was looking into evil to try to teach people how to recognize evil and avoid it. And instead of just teaching them how to recognize good... <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll f- figure out the evil themselves. So um, I kind of switched it, and I went back the other way, and I'm, I it all all that stuff stopped. Hmm. So yeah, that is, if, that is when interesting. When you teach people at a bank to recognize counterfeit money, you don't teach them to memorize all the types of counterfeit. You teach them what real money looks like, and yeah. then once they know what real money looks like, they they recognize the counterfeits easy. So anyway, that's what kind of the way I looked at it. Yeah, I understand that. I guess we'll go ahead and and, and wrap things up unless you got anything else. Uh, no, uh, the only thing I can think of that we haven't really talked about since this is a conspire a theory, uh, people often ask me why the government would cover up Bigfoot. And... 
does that sound like something you interested in or? Oh, uh, you're not going to, you're, you're not going to let me just, just shut the door right now. Are you? <laughs> no, well, the, it just, oh gosh. Oh I gosh. Think, okay. okay. I think it is it, connected. You, yeah. You're opening up a rabbit hole here that yeah. I've heard. Um, you've heard of the men in black, correct? Yes. Yes. Well, there is allegedly a Bigfoot edition of the Men in Black, an offshoot of the Men in Black, of these. But I've I've heard it mostly on Timothy Renner's show. Yeah. Um. He he does strange familiars. Yeah. And he'll talk about the Bigfoot Men in Black. Yeah. That they have their own Men in Black, and it's two entities. One is a short man dressed up all in black with, with thick glasses and a very older looking gentleman. And then the other is a big burly bearded bearish type of man, you know, with the, with the full beard who wears, you know, the plaid and he's got suspenders on and, and, you know, and jeans and stuff like this, sometimes overalls, I believe. And these, and when people are told when people have Bigfoot experiences and they're sort of told to shut up about it. These are the two men who visit them and try to coerce them into silence. So far, that, that's what I've heard of these, these two men in black-like individuals. Um, I've heard many uh, conspiracies that, that people want to keep this stuff buried, that, that there are instances of, of alleged Bigfoot bodies being discovered yeah and and you know um and i think one was where one was like hit by lightning or something of that nature and it yep. was a female and she was like uh and and some doctor had done an autopsy on it and and it found the the female was pregnant with twins oh, that's too bad. and and it, it was a very garish story and it was I've mostly like an autopsy. yeah yeah it was it was like a, it was like a um it's like a sort of an, an autopsy thing of that nature where, and, and that, that there's like a lot of conspiracies that a lot of the park ranges and stuff, I think this gets into the David Politis missing 411 yep. where, you know, the, the parks people, they're not that, they don't keep up much on the missing people or they make it prohibitively uh, difficult to get records on all the people that go missing in the parks. And that leads people to the conspiracy that maybe that this is a form of coercion. Is it like maybe people disappearing as some sort of like sacrifice to, to uh, keep whatever uh, Bigfoot population sated. There's so many conspiracies on, on, on that I've heard, you know, and, and I've just heard these just off and on passing through. Um, because I'm not, I don't, my primary interest is aliens and alien abduction phenomenon and creatures like this. I'm a bit passive when it comes to the Bigfoot stuff, but I have heard a lot of Bigfoot theories is that, you know, some people speculate that the Bigfoot, like the, the tribes and stuff where they would keep, where they would steal away, you know, children and women. Right. Um, and some people speculate that they would steal away women for reproductive purposes. I don't know what to make of that. 
Well, I don't quite know either, and I don't yeah. make a stand one way or the other. Um, but I do think that the Bigfoot is just a small microcosm of a bigger mystery and that's really the alien and what's out there in the universe and what how we really fit into that and not how we've imagined for thousands of years we fit into it and i think that when we understand better what's going on in the universe and the other living creatures in the universe we'll understand the bigfoot situation we'll go oh yeah that, now that makes sense but the reason mm -hmm. it's a mystery is because there's so many bigger mysteries more related to what you're talking about aliens and abductions and things like that when we resolve that one i think the bigfoot will fall right in line mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. that's kind of how i look at it i think there's some i don't know what the alien connection is i think it's very possible they're not even from this planet because of the strange things they do and the, the abilities they have that just don't seem uh, consistent with our yeah. physical laws. I've, I've heard, I've heard another theory that I've heard out there that, that I kind of find interesting is that it's all a form of poltergeist. Yeah. It's just in a different area because the Bigfoot encounters, it involves a lot of uh, loud noises uh, rocks being thrown, yep. you know, hidden away behavior and that, but if that was happening inside of a house, stuff being thrown about loud noises, oh, um, that's interesting. It would oppressive be fear, it oppressive would be fear would be written off as a poltergeist. Yep. But in the woods, it's written off as, as, um, adjacent Bigfoot behavior. And, and, I've watched a lot of ape and, and I've watched a lot of national geographic, especially when they have like ape stuff, you know, and, and, and gorillas and stuff like this, because I find, you know, gorillas and, and apes, the greater apes fascinating. Yep. And a lot of the behavior that people describe in Bigfoot doesn't line up with what I see in typical ape behavior. Nope. Um, some people will describe bluff charges and stuff of that nature and ch and chest beating. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't hear a lot of chest beating in Bigfoot. Um, there's also what I, which I think is a telltale is, uh, Bigfoot doesn't throw scat. No, like, like greater apes, they will throw scat defensively. Oh, I didn't know that. When they get, when they get irritated enough, they'll, they'll, that's just what they do. Huh. Um, and there's no accounts of Bigfoot ever doing that. No. And, and, and I know that like lots of people, they'll talk about, you know, finding Bigfoot scat and stuff of that nature. And I, I, and again, that's one of those things where it's like finding Bigfoot hairs where it gets sent off to a lab and then comes back inconclusive. And I think there was a, 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 a doctor, her name was Ketchum of something of that nature. Yeah. And she was testing DNA and that stuff. And, and, Apparently, a lot of uh, it, it either she, it, it is believed that she was either sabotaged or or she was misled or she just outright lied about it. Yeah, there's so many conspiracies regarding that yeah. instance of, of her trying to get solid evidence tested, and it just it's 
it's it's it's itself a whole rabbit hole of 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 that unfortunately yeah. doesn't yield any answers. Nope. I think that uh, the answers are being covered up, <laughs> and, and as long as that's the case, um, there the people who try to come up with those answers are going to be mocked or belittled uh and that's pretty much the way it goes i think uh it's maybe argued arguably that's starting to change with the ufo stuff that they're talking about in congress we will see but um mockery has been their greatest weapon Hmm. and and then accusations about someone being professional or honest or dishonest and unprofessional. Those are the ways that they can destroy careers and belittle and diminish people. And Mm -hmm. it's the easiest way to, to get people off the scent of something being very real and also possibly very dangerous. Um, And it's just sad that we can't just be very honest and act like adults and get this thing resolved. And, um, but I don't know why, I don't know what they're covering up or what the purpose is, but I can only suspect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there have been some strides, like, even though I'm very critical of, of the TTSA to the stars Academy and Lou Elizondo, uh-huh the article pertaining to him that was in the New York times did for, uh, six months get UFOs taken seriously. And Tom DeLong is largely responsible for that, even though he's, he embarrassed himself on his appearance and Joe Rogan. I mean, there, there is a lot of credit there that, that he, you know, took some steps forward of this now later, of course, uh, you know, a lot of people are coming under fire, you know, under speculation and criticized because, well, what what is the next step? And I guess the next step is they just get defense contracts and line their pockets and become part of the system now. Yeah. And and it's it's in a sense, in, in a went in a in some sense, people feel like we took a step forward, but in doing so, we've also now the floors fall under out from under us and we've taken two steps back. Well, I just now, saw an article today yeah. that said the defense, the defense industry is worried about UFOs that have capacities that exceed ours. And I'm thinking, really, they're just starting mm-hmm. to worry about that. I mean, that's your biggest concern. And they're just setting it the deck to get to spend more defense, to buy more weapons instead of getting honest about what's happening here. If they're yeah. if they really exist, yeah, they're more superior than you, and <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Well, the thing is, it's going to lead to like um, media and and governmental um, practices that's going to that just might cripple the rest of us who study this type of stuff. Right. Who knows oh, what's going to happen? True. And and the the. Because it it was this concerted 
CIA effort to mock uh, abduction phenomenon. And the abductees, you know, they feel they feel the most left out of this the most. And they're and, you know, they're the advocates for for them are mad as hell about it. Yeah. And it's it's led to a lot of ugly mud throwing in the community. Well, I believe that. Uh, I, I know there's a little bit of that in people disappearing in the national parks and um, some of the stuff that's been discussed on the 911, like you mentioned. Uh, that yeah. there's people who are upset that they're not being listened to and that their people are are either disappearing or dying in very strange ways. And... Uh, and nothing's being said about it, and people are just still going out to the national parks like there's nothing wrong with these beautiful, safe places. And uh, actually, it's not as safe as they are led to believe. So. Yeah, it's, it's a whole lot of we don't know. Yep. Um, with the national parks, I mean, so much of that, so much of that land is, is off limits. You know, it, it's off. No, and I can understand in some instances where it's, you know, it's very difficult to get to. I think it was um, the man who, who wrote the book about the Devil's Triangle. Uh-huh. He had like a, 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 a UFO experience. I forget what his name is. Terry something. Um, he had written his book about where him and his friend, they went camping and they, they crossed the do not the, the no entry signs and, and the gates to, to get to some premium camping uh, areas. And they were, they had an abduction experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that leads to the conjecture that maybe, that some of the, the the reason that the parks are so highly restrictive is to keep people out, so that, you know, because something is out there that, that's not friendly, be it Bigfoot or some other entity. Some people even lead it up to the to Fey encounters as well of of you know of you know whether they're accosted by aliens or Bigfoot. Some people are being accosted by Fey creatures. What's that? Which I, that's uh, like, like gnomes and fairies and stuff oh, like this. Okay, okay, like leprechauns. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. and and it's sort of a, a, like an abduction experience, except it's with, uh, with with elves and stuff instead. Well, interesting. Yeah, I know it's it, it's it's. It makes you wonder the, the, is, the leprechaun yeah. phenomena in, in Ireland and some of the weird phenomena they they mythologize about there it makes you wonder if a lot of this mythology has some some factual background you know um i don't know Hmm. could be yeah and and it's it is interesting and it, it is a bit of a larger conversation yeah i think so so then I guess we'll go ahead and wrap things up here if, if you're if you're okay. satisfied. Okay. Because this okay. was a I mean, we blew right through this interview so much faster than I thought I would. 
than uh-huh. I thought we would because because it it's just fantastic. I mean, I've listened to some of your prior um, interviews, uh-huh. and and they're just they're they're great. I I really enjoyed listening to them. You you do a great job um, on the mic, <laughs> well, and 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 being a good interview. Um, I remember I was listening to one, and I think it was uh, Eleanor Wagner. Yeah, I, I I love her show. I like her, <laughs> and 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 she was. It, it's funny because I think she wanted to talk more about the book writing process with uh-huh. you than <laughs> than the Bigfoot stuff, and and yeah. I, and that tickled me in a way. <laughs> she's, that, she's, she's um I really like Eleanor, and I was when yeah. we did that, we had some technical issues. And so I thought, boy, this might not come out very well. But I think she did a great job of pulling it all together. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. I, I've I've come on to her show just recently, like maybe in the past year. Uh-huh. And I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm definitely in the future, good. I'll try to reach out to her. So I might ask you to put a good word in for me sometime. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll do that. So uh, that's awesome. So anyway, yeah, but, thank but, you. I enjoyed yeah, being on your show, Chris. Yeah, thank you again for for having this great conversation. We blew through it so fast, and the thing is, we covered so much ground. I mean, it is incredible, and, and this was a fantastic interview. I'm, I'm so glad that you reached out to me, okay. and and you know, I mean, I I really do want to thank you so much for for you know making this possible. Do you think? Could I say one quick thing about my book? Absolutely. Uh, tell, you right ahead. Story, tell you a story. When I was about three quarters of the way done with all the editing and everything, my editor quit on me. Um, mm-hmm. She said I my characters were using firearms unsafe in an unsafe manner, unproper manner, which I've studied and it's just not the case. And and then I had to finish all the editing in addition to the publication and the formatting all by myself. And um, I am not, editing is not my strongest suit. So there are a few typos here and there, but I just want you to know it's being repaired and I'm gonna upload the new copy within a couple of weeks. And so if people have seen that and or that's bothersome, most people don't care. They just like the story and they like the characters. But if that does bother you, I understand, and I'm working diligently to get it fixed, okay? And yeah, I'm, I'm in, glad. In the next couple of weeks, it'll all be up. But like <laughs> you said, writing a book is really hard, and yeah. there's a lot to learn. So Yeah, it, I'm glad that, that you respect the relationship between writer and editor. So many newbies think that editors are just there to keep you down, but the editor is there to make sure that your book is presentable and readable. Uh, with my relationship, I have a, a friend who serves as as an editor, and you know, I'll I'll pay him in in cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah. So, because well, he's just editing comic books for me. because yeah, that, that's right. what I do. It's the comic books. Right. But the the thing is, is that understanding the purpose of a, of an editor and knowing to to work with that is is a very professional and mature um attitude to have as a writer you gotta have that and yeah and that will definitely you know push you forward 
successfully because you know you'll you'll be like you know you'll know how to work with all that stuff so i hope that you find yourself a good editor to take care of that because i think i have so that's good um (laughs) stephen king said i love this quote i think this i think i've got this right but he said to write is human to edit is divine (laughs) i think that's an awesome quote i think that's how he said it but but i believe it (laughs) Yeah, and and thank you again for for being such a great interview. I really enjoyed this time. And and if you want to go ahead and let people know where to find your book and your website, and then we'll go ahead and well, yeah, the book is on Amazon, and you can just type in Tomato Fields, uh, which is um, you it's essential to the story, and uh, you write Tomato Fields and my name, Tim. Moon and it's moon like up in the sky, so it'll come right up. It would come up in a Google search, but it'll for sure come up in a in an Amazon search. And then you can get it on uh, it's Kindle. You can get it on a paperback, or you can do what's called the the Kindle. I think unlimited, where you can pay seven or eight bucks a month, and you can read as many books as you want online. Uh, either one of those, it's a, it's available on any of those options. And um, if you read it and you like it, I'd sure love to see a re- see you give me a review. Okay, that would be a, those help me a lot. All right, thank you.